God's Word comes to us from Hebrews chapter 9. You may turn there in your Bibles if you have them, or that is also printed in the worship folder this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be reading just the first 15 verses of this chapter. Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the <coughs> Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic of the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify them for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Also printed in your worship folder this morning is Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and I would like to read for you today questions 12 through 15. 
You'll notice the title, uh, Part 2, Man's Deliverance. Question 12. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? The answer that's given, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13, can we pay this debt ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our guilt every day. Question 14, can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Besides, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. Question 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? He must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, he must also be true God. Well, this morning we come to really the first major transition in our study of the Word of God as summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. You recall the Catechism talks about those three things we need to know to live and die in the joy of the comfort of our salvation. We are to know how great our sin and misery are. We are to know how we are set free from all our sins and misery. And third, how we are to thank God for that deliverance. We have been talking for the last several Sundays about our sin and misery, that shortest section of the Catechism. We saw that we have a natural tendency to hate God and to hate our neighbor. God's command is love God and love your neighbor. Our natural tendency is to hate God and to hate our neighbor. We reminded ourselves that we were not created this way, not created fallen. No, it was because of the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, that we find ourselves in this fallen, sinful condition. We talked about Adam's federal headship over us and connected with Christ's federal headship. As we are lost in Adam, so all who are in Christ are redeemed. We talked about the fact that this is not unjust, it's not unfair, it is God demonstrating his righteousness. We're moving on from that, from that focus on our sin and misery now to how we are set free, the salvation section. And while the sin section has only three Lord's Days, it's the shortest, this is the longest section, talking about the glories of our salvation and Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. This section begins with question 12. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. We talked about the fact that God is a righteous judge. He simply cannot let sins go unpunished. He requires satisfaction for sin. 
and it introduces us to the concept of a mediator. A mediator who would be the one to make that satisfaction. Now, mediator is a word, kids, you probably don't use very much. What's a mediator? Very simply, a mediator is someone who makes peace. It's someone who puts a broken relationship back together. Maybe, kids, sometimes you're playing with your brother or sister, and then, and then for no reason, they just take away a toy that you want, and you go over there and you try to take that toy back from them, and you're struggling back and forth, and, and mom and dad come in the room, and they're there to make peace. They're there as a mediator, and they'll sit down with you, and they'll talk with you about whose toy it is and how we respect each other, and maybe they, they'll have you ask for forgiveness and repentance and all those things, but your parents are there to make peace between the two of you. That's a mediator, someone who makes peace. We're going to talk about the need for a mediator this morning. Not simply between broken relationships here on this earth, but a mediator between a holy, righteous, perfect God and a fallen and sinful man. Who will make peace between the holy God and the fallen man, our need for a mediator. And we need that mediator really because, because of those two sides that are at odds. The reasons for a mediator are first of all because God is a holy God. God is a God, as we've seen, who is righteous, who is just, who is holy. And his holiness was already portrayed in the Old Testament. Hebrews takes us back to that. Verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Already in the first covenant, already in the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself as a holy God. God's holiness in the midst of a fallen people. Look at verse 2. For a tent was prepared. There was going to be this, this uh, holy God to reside in the midst of his fallen people. To do that, a tent was prepared to, to set God apart from the common to set God apart from the sinfulness. We call that tent the tabernacle. There was a tabernacle that was built that would, that would have special space where God's presence would be. And even in the structure of that tabernacle, we see pictures of God's holiness, how he is set apart from the common, from the sinful. Around that uh, tabernacle, there was a big uh, uh, fence made of curtains. And this set the tabernacle space apart from the rest of the space in Israel. All of Israel would be outside of that great big tent. A reminder to them that God was different. God was set apart. God was holy. They just couldn't walk inside that big tent. But there was this, this, this courtyard 
that was set apart as a space to remind them of God's holiness. And then inside of that courtyard was another tent. In fact, verse 2 describes it this way. A tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. So we have this courtyard, and inside that courtyard is a two-part tent. And that first part of the tent is called the holy place. And there were holy things inside that first part of the tent. And the priests who were set apart could go into that first section of the tent, the holy place. But there was more. Verse 3, behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. And here we have an even greater expression of God's holiness. There are levels, God was set apart from the people, but there are even levels there where there's a first section, the holy place, and then the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And in this second section, not any priest could go, only the high priest could go, and only once a year to remind them. They could not simply walk up to God, but He is holy. He is set apart from His people. God's holiness portrayed in the tabernacle, even in the structure of the tabernacle, and in the furnishings of the tabernacle. It talks about the lampstands and the table with the bread of presence and the ark of incense and the ark of the covenant, all these things covered with gold, and all of these uh, uh, physical things inside were pictures and reminders of God's holiness and of the work of Jesus Christ. And we could spend a lot of time just going through each of these articles. But I'm going to take my cue from the author of Hebrews who says in verse 5, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Perhaps another time. We'll spend time in detail looking at each of these articles in the tabernacle, but, but not this morning. This morning we see that, that God's holiness was manifest in the midst of his people through the tabernacle. One of the reasons we need a mediator is because God is holy. And the other reason is because we are not. Because we are fallen and we are sinful. We've talked about that for the last few weeks together, so I'm not going to belabor that. But just think about, think about the history of Israel. How often they would complain <clears throat> against God even when He provided for them. They would be taken out of captivity and they go, oh man, we wish we could go back to Egypt again. God would provide them bread and they'd say, oh, the bread's kind of getting uh, kind of stinky. Let's have some meat instead. God would give them water, and they'd say, I wonder if he can do it again. They continued to complain and complain and complain against a holy God. A mediator is required because God is holy and man is fallen. The people were fallen. The leaders were fallen. And again and again, they complained and would rebel against God. And unfortunately... We see the same thing today. 
if we consider our lives, we are not so different from the people of Israel. How easy it is for us to complain against God. He provides us with our daily bread every day of the week, but we want something better, something more. He gives us labor to do, but we want something different. He provides for us, and we say, God, that's just, that's just not quite enough. We are too much like the Israelites. Which reminds us we still have a need for a mediator, for God has not changed. God is still holy. And man is still fallen. The need for a mediator to make peace. And the Heidelberg Catechism, like a, like a patient teacher, kind of uh, sets out for us the options of, of who might that mediator be. It says that the claims of God's justice must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. The next question, can we pay this debt ourselves? Are we able, is man able to do it? The answer, certainly not. Actually, we increase our guilt every day. And the fact that there were these tents set up was a reminder that man is unable to accomplish the holiness, the righteousness that God requires. God's holy presence was set off from man. Look at verse 6. These preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. Not every man, not every woman, but someone set apart would go in and perform the ritual. As a reminder to the people, they were not able. They could not do it. Can man himself pay? No, even the structure and the work of the tabernacle says no, man cannot pay. Verse 7, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Even the priest who would go in would recognize he of himself was insufficient to provide the forgiveness. Even the high priest, when he went into that most holy place, didn't go in of his own accord. He went in with blood. Blood that was shed. That was shed for him. He made atonement for himself first. And then for the sins of the people. Can man save himself? Absolutely not. Actually, we increase our fallenness every day. One of those options about the mediator, maybe we can do it. And we see, no, we can't. We're fallen, we're sin sinful, and we continue in our sins. All right, well, if we can't do it, uh, what about someone else, another creature? And that actually sounds kind of promising. Another creature could do it because if we think of the history of the tabernacle, and the history of the people of Israel, how God gave them the sacrificial system. 
And they would offer the blood of goats and bulls and heifers and all these things for the sins of the people. Maybe an animal sacrifice can be the mediator and can take away our sins. Look at verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic of the present age. No, these sacrifices, these offerings, were a teaching tool, but they were not those which could actually take away the sins of the people. That's what verse 10 talks about. According to the arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. These sacrifices cannot clear the conscience. Not just that they do not clear the conscience, they cannot clear the conscience. They are merely an external pointer, an external picture. That's the question of question 14. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. No other creature can pay the debt that we owe. Now, the offerings in the Old Testament were offered in obedience to God. He had set up the sacrificial system. But the offerings themselves, the blood of goats and bulls, never took away any sins. They were simply pointers to a greater reality. We need a mediator because God is holy and we are fallen. Can we be that mediator ourselves? No, we can't. Even the high priest had to have blood for himself. Can any other creature? No, the creatures were there in obedience to God, but they never took away sins. Where do we turn to? No man, no creature. Look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus Christ. The one answer to the question. No man can do it. No creature can do it. No one can be the mediator except Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is able to, to make peace between a holy God and a fallen man. He goes in and he offers his own blood. He goes in once for all to secure our redemption. The priests would go in 
again and again and again, and blood would be shed. Blood would be shed in the tabernacle. Blood would be shed in the temple. And we see in this ongoing sacrificial system, animal's blood, animal's blood, animal's blood, over and over, but none of it, none of it accomplished the purpose of mediation. When Christ goes in, he goes in once for all. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the final sacrifice. After Him, there is no more bloodshed that needs to take place. No more goats, no more bulls, no more of that shedding of blood. Because Jesus Christ's blood has been shed. He went in once for all, verse 12 tells us. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You know, I, I, I imagine those Old Testament Israelites, as they saw that blood continuing to be shed over and over, it must have raised the question, am I really forgiven? Are my sins really being taken away? We continue to do this again and again. Christ comes and offers his blood once for all to secure our redemption. If you are wondering, am I really saved? Are my sins really gone? Jesus Christ has finished his work. He came and he offered that perfect blood and there's no more blood to be shed. The, 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 the finality of the removal of our sins. We have been washed and cleansed because Christ went in once for all. He went in and he was the reality. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences? The Old Testament was ceremonial. It was an external washing. But Jesus Christ comes, and by the power of the Spirit, he is the reality. Not the ceremony, but the substance that to which the ceremony pointed. He comes as the perfect offering for sin, the perfect mediator between God and man. What an assurance we have in his work. He is there to, as the text says, purify our conscience. Not simply an external picture, but purify our conscience, the true mediator who makes a true peace between a holy God and a fallen man. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus Christ, the only one, the only mediator possible. No man could do it. No creature could do it. God would send his own son to be that mediator. That's the the reality, the glory of the gospel, that not only uh, are we unable to offer anything for ourselves, we would be unwilling to offer, but God did the offering. God offered his own son to make peace between God and man. 
If you are here this morning and are still living at enmity with God, looking for another mediator, looking at what you can do, or what anyone else can do, or what any creature can do, God calls you today to stop looking for other answers. He's given us the answer, the one answer, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him, your trust in Him, and be assured of the forgiveness of your sins and eternal redemption. And knowing that truth, we read here that that God gave him to purify our consciences from dead works in order to serve a living God. God has redeemed us that we might serve him, love him, be devoted to him in our homes, at our work, in our church, in everything that we do. Our consciences have been cleansed by God that we might serve him. And we become now, as Romans will say, those living sacrifices now acceptable to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, the mediator, the one who makes peace between God and man. Oh, there was a need, a need none of us could fulfill, a need God himself met by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, our peacemaker. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are amazed at your glorious plan of salvation. You are righteous, you are holy, and your justice needed to be satisfied. And yet we know we could never make that satisfaction. We could not do it, no other creature could do it. And so you did what we were unable to do. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to make peace because of our fallenness and because of your holiness. Thank you, O God. Thank you for this glorious gift that you have not only given us the external washings, but our consciences have been cleansed from works of death. We might serve you, our living God. Give us today a great joy and a celebration in what you have done. May we leave ready to serve you even more fully in the week that you have laid out ahead of us. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.